0: and hardships of the Apostle Paul. What can we learn from them today? Let's talk about it with Philip Plinning on Steve Brown, etc. He's he's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and
1: seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc.
0: Hey, we're so glad you're here to give an hour of your time to us. It's a high and holy compliment, but then we deserve it. So (laughs) we appreciate your doing this for us. We have a great guest today. He talks funny, but he's got a lot of of good things to say, and we're going to talk about it. In case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter is here. Matthew knows about hardship. Uh, He identifies with Paul. Like, like, well, the Girl Scouts selling their cookies right when he's trying to eat better. It's not cool. (laughs) It's not cool. (laughs) Our producer, Jinx, is in the little glass booth. Jinx, you didn't bring any food today. I didn't even know I was supposed to be here yet. And our one-man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. When John fixes my computer, I don't think of it as John providing me with tech support. I think of it as me giving him a chance to grow in patience and kindness (laughs) and self-control. So, John... You're welcome. <laughs> and Kathy Wyatt. Well, Dr. George Beam is, of course, here. He's the president of tea Life. George's leadership philosophy is speak softly and carry a big cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and Kathy Wyatt is the soft, feminine side of the program. Kathy, I don't know if you were planning to celebrate it, but today is National Pie Day, and I'm just saying <laughs> there's still time uh, yeah can I, can
1: I go home
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes if you bring a pie back okay you can philip Plyming <laughs> is dean of durham uh overseeing the life and mission of that cathedral uh, he previously served as warden of cranmer hall where he taught leadership in new testament and he has a great new book um, I think we'll find out, but I think that this grew out of the soil of his dissertation. Uh, The name of the book which I hold in my nicotine-stained hands is Being Real, the Apostle Paul's Hardship Narratives, and the Stories We Tell Today. I was telling Philip off the air that... uh, Paul was, for a long time, not my favorite person. Now, I have a high view of Scripture, so I knew what he said was true uh, and and all, but he was kind of uptight, kind of angry, (laughs) kind of, and I thought, you know, when I get to heaven, I want to go fishing with Paul, with Peter, but not with Paul. I'm going to listen to his lectures, but I'm going to go somewhere else. And then I discovered a side of Paul that Philip talks about in this particular book. I found a childlike uh, side to him, a time when he cries, a time when he's so authentic and so honest, where he sins and says so. I mean, nobody who's a professional religionist should ever say the good I want to do, I can't do, and the evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. That's crazy. You can lose your job saying things like that. So we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul with a man who really knows. And uh, Philip, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us.
2: It's great to be with you, Steve. Great to be with you, Matthew, George, Kathy, and Jinx. Um, Greetings from Durham in the northeast of England.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And it feels like you're right next door. Technology (laughs) is... It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, really, it really is. Did this come out of the soil of your dissertation, or was I wrong about that?
2: No, I think that's fair, Steve. It it was a project that came about sort of 20 years ago. I was always fascinated, really. I, I became a Christian... It came to a living faith when I was eighteen. And I remember noticing fairly early on that there were there was this tendency to kind of always sort of talk about the the positive, just talk about the fantastic parts of the Christian life. and i and I, and I struggled a bit with anxiety in my second year at university I am thinking, well where, where where's their place for anything struggles in the Christian life? How can we talk about this? And I came across these passages in Paul, and I thought, this guy's being real. So I just tucked it away, you know, where you tuck away an idea and you think, I'll come back to that later on. And then I, I did my theology training here in Durham and I was looking at an idea to research and I thought that's what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to work out why did Paul tell people about how tough his life was? So I spent five years doing a PhD, which as you know, Steve, is is always of technical. I did some empirical research, but yeah. I wanted to get it out there in a way that was actually going to be helpful to people. So that's what
0: this book's about. Do you... Um... Do you are you critical of those who talk about the power of positive thinking, or is that I mean, is this all dark and painful and difficult and a subject for lament, or do we get the other side? too?
2: so. One of the things I try and do in the book is 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 kind of uh, identify the way in which Paul is completely honest about the reality of his suffering. He takes no bones about it. It's his own kind of living out Good Friday. But at the same time, Paul says that as well as living in the middle of Good Friday, he's also living in the middle of Easter Sunday. So in other words, the only thing that gives him power to keep going in the middle of his Good Fridays is because he knows that God was raised, Jesus was raised from the dead by the Father. And so it's never just doom and gloom, but it's about reality infused with hope um, and how he sort of navigates that. So that's why he can say things like in 2 Corinthians 4, Six, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, having nothing yet possessing everything. He's always living with the reality of suffering, and the reality
0: of hope, and uh, even despair. We despaired of life itself. That's a pretty yeah, two, heavy yeah. thing to say. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's that's that's what I think. That's one of the most fascinating passages, Steve, which is two Corinthians one, where he doesn't tell us. Classic Paul, he doesn't tell us what it was that made him despair of life, but he says, which gives the chance for commentators to speculate wildly. But he does say we despaired of life itself. But then he says, we received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, it was the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead that gave him hope in the middle. But I think that's probably the key thing that we need to understand is that Paul doesn't try and sort of protect his readers from the reality of what it means to live a Christian life, which is to live a life that involves hardship.
0: You know, you do a lot of preaching at the cathedral, uh, and I'm sure these themes are a part of that. Are people surprised uh, that the Saint Paul should go through these kinds of things? And if they are, uh, does that say something pretty negative about the church?
2: Yeah, I haven't been here at the Cathedral long, Steve, but I was a vicar, I was a pastor for 11 years in a congregation, and I think sometimes some people have the assumption that if you're sort of a saint, life should be pretty easy. And I think when they come across these passages where they experience Paul being honest about his own hardship, they can either kind of just brush them away and pretend they didn't happen. Mm. or they can be a bit embarrassed by them. But actually, uh, I think that can be quite challenging to people because I think sometimes we live with an implied narrative, Steve, that basically says, you know, I used to have problems, then I became a Christian, and then everything was sorted. Mm. And Paul challenges that because he says, I live with hardship and I live with resurrection hope at the same time. And if you come to Christ because you want all your problems sorted, Paul's Paul's stories create a bit of a counter-narrative to that.
0: You know, this is, and these stories, and you make this point, uh, need to be understood by us, but told by us, too. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. we we walk the same road, if we're honest. I mean, we deal with cancer, with political problems, economic Mm -hmm. difficulties all kinds of governmental stuff that Paul lived with, Mm -hmm. and probably the Mm -hmm. Corinthian church where you center is the most like modern-day culture, you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. There's huge amounts of crossover between Corinthian culture, which was successful, um, competitive, high-achieving, socially kind of concerned with status, And the current and the present church, be it in Florida or California or Northeast England, Uh, and I think therefore looking at those comparisons between the first century and the twenty first century means that we should pay a particular attention to what Paul says. I think you're right. Suffering in the first century was shaming. Suffering in the twenty first century is often shaming as well. You talk about Christians, talk to Christians, and they say, "I shouldn't be finding this difficult, but I am." Yeah. Well, Paul's got a message for that
0: boy he really does has a message for our present day uh it's described by a lot of people as post christian and i have a friend in atlanta who wrote a book called uh, minority rules and he said that we're in a different mindset and it's not one that's that different from Corinthians. Uh, the christians were in a minority and we're fast becoming a minority And maybe we're getting down to the muscle. Boy, we're going to pursue this, and we're going to find out so many good things. And if you miss a bit of it, you're absolutely out of your mind. The book is uh, Being Real, The Apostle Paul's Hardship Narratives, and the Stories We Tell Today. Don't go anywhere. Our guest is Philip Fleming, and uh, we're going to return just like Jesus.
3: Thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube, and if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform: iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like, no e in blaster. Just blaster. Blaster. That's how the colons do it.
0: Hi, this is Steve Brown, and in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. Hanging out with author Philip Fleming uh, in his new book called *Being Real*: The Apostle Paul's Hardship Narratives and the Stories We Tell Today.
3: Philip, early in the book, before the break, we were talking about Corinth and 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 parallels between modern society and that um, and that location. Early in the book, you you know, talk about each city where where Paul visited and how. We kind of brush past the fact that they're all their own unique place, their own unique personality, their own unique contribution to his experiences and writings. Could you talk to us about, you know, kind of introduce us to those cities or tell us why that matters, how that factors into this?
2: Yeah, thanks, Matthew. So that's really important. We kind of often do a broad brush approach, Matthew, when it comes to the ancient world. We think, well, the ancient world were broadly much the same. They're all Greco-Roman cities, you know, much of a muchness, really. And of course, that's one sense that's true. But what we fail to understand is the diversity between those cities. Let me give an example, Matthew. So Athens, when Paul visited it, was effectively yesterday's city. Its heyday was 500 years before he arrived, you know. Mm -hmm. And the classical buildings were still there, but the power wasn't there, Mm -hmm. you know. And they were looking back to the glory days. Corinth, on the other hand, it's only an hour down the road you can get there. It's 50 miles. I travelled it in my hire car, took about an hour. It was almost like another world in the first century. Why? Why? because it had been burnt to the ground in 146 BC. It had been re-established by Julius Caesar in 55 BC. Um, I think those dates are correct, the book, right? Um, and um, and he'd resettled it as a, a city along Roman lines. It was incredibly strategically located. It had harbours facing east and west. It was had a north-south road. Do you know what I mean? All the trade came through there. And basically, it was absolutely buzzing. In its first century heyday. So when Paul visited it in AD 51, AD 52, he was visiting it. I mean, there was still building going on, but the on Road, it would have been gleaming white marble. You know, all the shops would have been buzzing. Um, all the speakers wanted to come. And so you get this I don't know if you describe kind of Corinth as kind of Shanghai of its day. Everything glistened, you know, everything was kind of gleaming, really. So Paul and Paul spent 18 months there. So he got under the skin of what made Corinth tick, really. So what do you have in Corinth? You have, you have people who were quite economically wealthy, not universally, but there was there was significant money around. You have people who were it was hugely socially mobile. So you had ex-slaves who'd become freedmen who'd now risen up to the top of the tree. Now, one of the things that means is, is that because they'd ridden to the top of the tree, they were really scared about falling down again. So they wanted to tell everyone how well they were doing. They couldn't put stuff on Facebook in those. They couldn't tweet their latest holiday. But they, they built statues and they put monuments up about how wonderful they were. So it was socially mobile. It was competitive because it had something called the Isthmian Games, which were these big second only to the Olympics, which people kind of raced and competed in. Uh, and it had these really impressive speakers who would come, who would just really impress people. It was less about what they said and more about the way they said it. So you can get this sense. And this is what Paul got to know. He, he lived there. He he walked the streets for 18 months and he knew how the Corinthians ticked. So. Yeah, Corinth was 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 a kind of remarkable, successful, competitive, but also quite anxious city.
0: Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It was um, there was a lot of contention there in the church itself too. I mean, yeah, I mean this what... was not your normal sweet church uh, where no, everything think... went fine. <laughs>
2: But I think we often look down on the, the Corinthian church, Steve, as if they got it wrong. In fact, they were doing something that was entirely unprecedented, because in Corinth you had male and female, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. What you'd never had before was those people in the same place. Never. Mm. So, uh, And actually, Paul, Paul's planted a church where you actually brought people together in the same place. We read 1 Corinthians 11 and we think, oh, isn't it dreadful they weren't in the same room as they met for Holy Communion? The miracle is, and they were in the same house that had never happened before. Just you know what I mean. So, so, so I think the Corinthian Church had problems, but in a sense, they were making it up on the hoof.
0: So, when a dog plays checkers, you don't criticize his game. You're just surprised <laughs> that he's playing at that's all. Right.
4: Well, and, yeah, that's right. Uh, Philip, there were so many things that that stood out to me in your book. I really have enjoyed it. Um, one sentence in the introduction he's um, uh, you say uh, God is at work in the cross shaped places and not just the places where everything is going well and that seems to be a theme that you carry through the um, that the cross uh, you know not just an event but it's actually a pattern for the way that Paul approached things and and it wasn't just uh, part of the content of what he was saying but really part of the manner in which he Um, you know, spoke to people. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. Thanks, George. I I think this is really crucial distinction. If you ask the Corinthian Christian, they'd say, oh, yeah, of course we believe in the cross. We believe Jesus died. But Paul's got something else to say to them. He's got to say to them, actually, the cross isn't just something that happened to Jesus. It's actually the way in which God works in the world. And he gives a couple of examples. He said, do you remember how I came to preach to you? He said, it wasn't very impressive, was it? It was weak. It wasn't, it was vulnerable. It it wasn't using all the special words that other people used. He said, but God worked in that weak place because you came to faith. And then he gets them to look around the room and he says, look at all of you. Not all of you are very impressive. Not many of you are rich. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1, 25 and onwards, he says, but God chose what is weak in the world to build the church. So in other words, he's saying the cross isn't just something that happened to Jesus. It's also somehow the pattern, that way God works in the world. And that's what gives him the chance to say, you know, if God was at work on Golgotha, if God was at work when Jesus submitted to a Roman crucifixion, God might be in work in your tough places too. So he'd almost say, the way I sometimes say it is the cross isn't something something you look at. The cross is also something you look through. And what that does for Paul, it gives like putting on a pair of glasses, it gives Paul permission to say, hang on. If I look at my own life through the cross, I don't need to be ashamed of my sufferings because actually I've met God in those places. I've known what it is to w- have God walking alongside me when I've been ridiculed or when I've been emotionally distressed or when I've been physically beaten. Uh, uh, and, and therefore, those aren't places of shame. Those are actually the very places God's been at work. Hmm.
0: And so uh, we have a friend, a late friend, Larry Crabb, who says those dark places Instead of running from them, we need to run to them and probe until it hurts so bad that only Jesus, who always shows, will show in your dark place, too. You agree? Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah, and that's right. That's right, Steve, because that's what gives Paul the chance to say, whenever I am weak, then I am strong. It's not I'm strong because I'm very strong, it's because in those moments, he knows God's power and presence. When his own physical resources have left out, he knows that God is strengthening him to keep on going. Hmm.
0: Guys, this is so important. It really is, because we've gotten it wrong sometimes. I've gotten it wrong sometimes. I, mean, I, I sometimes have promoted the Christian church as a commercial, what you can get out of it. That's not what it's about. It's a dark place sometimes, but it's a dark place where Jesus meets his people. And to put it in a personal way, if you're going through a dark time right now, don't run from it. Identify with Paul, and then you'll have a story to tell, and God will use that story. The book is Being Real, The Apostle Paul's Hardship Narratives and the Stories we killed today.
3: Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much.
0: Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called (laughs) Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it costs a million bucks. (laughs) But wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org slash app. Hey, we're so glad you're with us. As I said, we're hanging out with Philip Fleming. Uh, you can check out the beautiful church where Philip serves at durhamcathedral.co.uk. And you can keep up with Philip on X, formerly Twitter, at uh, Philip Fleming. And, and uh, Philip is with one L, and the Fleming, Fleming, P-L-Y-M-I-N-G. Like Clement. I'll get it. I'll get it right. Guys, I'm man. working hard at this. <laughs>
1: I think he should have to take a Philip, I think you should have to take a camera with you when we get done with his interview so we can go to Evensong.
2: Yeah. Just, it's on Facebook. It's okay. live streamed on Facebook. You're all right. So all right. If okay. anyone wants all to right. come and join us. All go right. to Durham Cathedral Facebook. You'll have a good time.
1: I'll go. Um Philip, in this culture that we where we live now that is so heavily directed by and consumed i think that's a good word by social media um it seems that the people who have the the greatest followings or rewards or whatever are are people who put up a front um you know y- y- you don't have to look at stuff for very long to realize that so much of it is not true it's just not so mm-hmm. how What can Paul teach us about being real in a culture that doesn't seem to really care about that?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's really great, Kathy. I mean, I think Paul's got a a great story to tell. And the reason why, Kathy, is because if we understand that even in his day, Paul was swimming against the tide— yeah? Mm-hmm. So so he, the Corinthians didn't want to hear the stories that he told. You can imagine putting their fingers in their ears going, la, 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 la. You know, they didn't want it. They wanted <laughs> to hear stories of success. They wanted to hear stories of people coming to faith and miracles. Now, Paul had those stories, but he chose not to tell them. So let's understand that it wasn't easy for Paul. He was swimming against the tide. But I think the reason why he did that was, again, he wanted to point people to Jesus. And he believed that when he spoke about his own hardship and the way in which he met God in his own hardship. He was pointing to a God who was at work in Jesus who was crucified and Jesus who was raised from the dead. Uh, and so in other words, what gave him confidence to swim against the tide was Jesus. Now, looking at us, you're right, Cathy, that I think we need to, um, we, we got huge pressure in our society to think that we glorify God most of all by telling other people how wonderful our lives are. We think that must be the best thing we can do. You know, the best thing, you know, you you pretend like I'm representing God and I'm an ambassador and therefore I've just got to tell about the good stuff and either ignore the bad stuff or I repress the bad stuff. But what we have got to do is get our head straight first of all before we start typing on our phones. And getting our head straight means we need to understand that God is at work in more places than we think. And and we've got to move away from thinking that, you know, the devil is behind all the bad stuff and God's behind all the good stuff. It's just not like that. God, in his wisdom, lets bad things happen to good people so that he can be glorified in their lives. Uh, And therefore, we don't have to be shamed. And that word shame is a really significant word because, listen, it's a huge big driver in our culture today. People think I can't possibly say. Let me give an example, Cathy. I I was a theological college principal, Okay, So I used to run a theological college. I was training vicars. I would had a really lousy summer. I was often tearful at home. I was struggling at work. And I thought I was actually feeling better when it came to September. But I thought, no, I'm not going to pretend that everything's okay. And I just stood up to the students, I had 100 students in the room, and I said, you just need to know this has been a really tough summer. It's okay now. I've had some good help. I've had some good support. I'm not telling you this to make me feel sorry for me, but I want you to recognise that I've met God in an unlikely place over this summer. It's been challenging, but I've discovered more about the compassion and the kindness and the mercy of God in the last three months than I think I've ever known in my life. And so learning to tell those stories where we meet God in the midst of tough places is actually it points to jesus it doesn't point away from jesus it's another way of pointing to jesus that makes sense
0: yes absolutely you know uh there's a supernatural side of this too these stories are not just stories of our pain and god's faithfulness there's a supernatural intervention when we speak these stories that really does change lives doesn't it
2: I think that's right it, 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 i've discovered that steve when i've shared some stories or when people have shared stories with me there's a sense of intimacy that goes on that god really works in and i think people people recognize kathy mentioned earlier people recognize that much of social media is just fake yeah. and when people are crying out for authenticity and when that happens i think uh, god can really meet people i've i've shared something of my story in all sorts of places and people have come up to me and said, you know, that was actually a time that God spoke to me. Not when, you know, I was impressive or did a good sermon or something like that. It's actually when you talk about your challenges.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, that's not exactly a great commercial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I get it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind well, of
2: because what... Because we, what are we advertising? We're not advertising a, a just a resurrected Messiah. We're res- advertising a crucified Messiah
0: and a resurrected
2: Messiah, unless we're able to talk about both, we're, we're not a very good
0: ambassadors. Oh, you guys have got to get this book. This would be a great book for a small Bible study, uh, and uh, the people in that study will come out different because of it. It's Being Real, the Apostle Paul's Hardship narratives. What? Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul's Hardship narratives. yeah and the stories we tell today. Hey guys, uh, this is really hard work. And uh, we need to rest and have some cookies and maybe grab a nap. Uh, But we are going to come back and we fully expect that you will too. In fact, you're gonna be tested on this material, so pay attention.
3: Thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube, and if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Pod I mean it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just blaster. Well shoot. Blaster. Anyhow, that's how the colons do it.
4: When Christ promised we could live life to the full, He didn't just mean eventually in heaven, because Jesus didn't come to save us from our humanity, but to restore it. Life with a capital L. Find it now on keylife.org store.
3: What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store.
0: Hey, thanks for spending this time with you. And and if you haven't heard, the print edition of Key Life magazine is now available. And if you don't like it, you can't complain because it's free. (laughs) Uh to claim your copy, just visit keylife.org slash free magazine.
3: Philip, there's a author speaker, I want to say it's Brene Brown, I'm not for sure. Uh talks about the contrast between speaking from scars versus speaking from a wound. Um, in you know, self-explanatory, but obviously speaking for something that you've gotten over and it's in the past versus something you are actively sorting through and haven't figured it out at all. It mm-hmm. feels like Paul does both of those. Is that a fair assessment?
2: That's a good, really good question, Matthew. I'm not sure it is. One of the things that's interesting about what Paul writes about, and we mentioned this earlier in terms of 2 Corinthians 1, is actually not very specific mm. about things that he's experiencing in the present, and for example, even in when he says in two Corinthians one, we despaired of life itself. He doesn't tell us why. The only I think he tells quite a lot of his suffering stories in retrospect. So, for example, the, the the thorn in the flesh, he said that's all in the past. The beatings in two Corinthians eleven, that's all in the past. And even the stuff which is ongoing in one Corinthians four, he says, you know, we are we are thirsty, we are hungry. He, he he's doing it in a way that's. Relatively self-contained. I mean, I talk in the book about. Um, I think Paul actually has a good sense of boundaries. I don't think mm. he's oversharing, uh, yeah. because I think to some extent he's processed, and I think partly through writing it in papyrus is part of that processing. But I, I, I think one of the risks of, of 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 what I've written, and I address this in the book, is thinking that that we go to the other extreme and we share everything with everybody all the time, you know, and we think, oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to simply tell everyone how miserable I am at the moment and think that's somehow honouring to God. I don't think that's honouring to God at all because I think that the risks of um, manipulation are very significant here. So for example, I gave you the story about how I spoke to my students. I thought that through really carefully. I talked with my senior colleagues. I'd given them a draft of what I was going to say. because I said to them, look, is this appropriate? I don't want to be manipulating people. And and they'd sort of, you know, they'd sort of check me out and I was accountable for them for how I did it. You know, I don't put this stuff on Twitter, Matthew. I don't sort of, you know, talk about, you know, because I don't know who's reading it. Mm. So I think we need to be quite careful that we don't have to feel that we have to share our story with everybody all the time. We have to think about how, if we are in positions of power or responsibility, we have to think about how power dynamics work within that. But that doesn't mean we go to the other extreme and therefore pretend that everything's all right, really. I talk about this thing, I think, in the book about some Christian leaders sort of want to take people into their backstages, you know, their private lives. And then they what they do is present a very polished <laughs> version mm. of their private lives, you know, yeah. it's always a beautiful glass of wine on a or a sort of, you know, their son graduating from a top university or something like that. And you're thinking, if you can't be honest about the fact that your private life is pretty mixed, don't tell about it at all, do you know
3: what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole phenomenon of, like, uh, female Twitter influencers, and they're, it's all like, I'm a mess today, y'all. Like, really? Because you look really, <laughs> it looked like a lot of work went into you looking kind of oh, all waking up like this. I'm like, it just stinks, all of it.
0: It really gets to, I mean, it really, you go, yuck. <laughs> you know, it's not in your book, and I'm moving outside of Corinthia. No, I'm not. It's there, too. Uh what about authenticity reflected in a mean streak? Mm. I mean Paul How'd you mean well he had a mean streak. I mean there was a side of him that was in your face, and uh, you know, some of the stuff in Galatians I don't believe I would have said. I mean I'm not even <laughs> sure he's saved.
4: Uh
0: that that's authentic too, isn't it?
2: Yes, I think that's right. And and I think Behaving, letting yourself be honest about some of the challenges is important. I mean, I'm always nervous about suggesting I'm like Paul because I haven't got a uh, place in the (laughs) scriptural (laughs) canon. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so uh, and I can't claim that sort of. um, So I think uh, but I think there's something about Paul being honest in the way that he handled conflict that I think. Um, I remember talking to a church leader and they said, I said, what's it been like doing all the church planting? And he's, I was uh, chairing a conference and he said, oh, it's just been a lot of fun. Now, I knew because I talked to him, it hadn't been a whole lot of fun. It had been a whole lot of pain. Yeah. And it had a whole lot of rows with people because that's what had to happen. You know what I mean? So, so, so just be honest about that, really, because otherwise you're just setting other people up to fail. Because I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, crumbs, if I'm not finding ministry a whole lot of fun, I must be doing something wrong. Whereas, in fact, you know, so I used to try and think, OK, um, you know, I didn't sort of I wasn't trying to transfer my I wasn't getting the students to process all the stuff I need to process on my own. But on the other, on the other hand, I wasn't just putting up a face and pretending everything was all right when it wasn't.
4: Oh, that's mm. so good. Philip, you kind of um, uh, contrast, highlight the the contrast between the way uh, and referring back to the, the different cities that he visited. Um, contrast the way he uh, spoke to those in Athens versus how he approached the people in Corinth. Can you kind of talk about that? It kind of gives a sense of sensitivity to the context, maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is why, going back to Steve's comment earlier about he doesn't want to go fishing with Paul, he'll go fishing with Peter. <laughs> I'd quite like to have a bit of time with Paul, simply because I think he was a remarkable person at understanding culture so in that bit in Acts 17, George, that you're referring to, you know, he goes around, he looks around the agora, and he works out what makes them tick. And what he does is he engages with them on a cerebral, philosophical level. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he gets what's going on under the skin. And I think there's something for us as, as those of us in Christian pastorates or, or Christian ministry, we've got to start with where people are. We've got to understand what make people tick. We've got to kind of... And understand that that's not going to be all good or all bad. It just is. Mm. But there'll be some good news of Jesus that speaks into that situation. So, you know, in Athens, it was, you don't know who this God is. Let me tell you about this God. In Corinth, it was, you're terrified of of sliding down the social ladder, but you don't know you're already a saint in Christ, you know. Mm. And and so I think there's something I find hugely encouraging about Paul is he honours the culture where mm-hmm. he is. And he then works out from that place or, or from an understanding of that culture, what does it mean to preach the good news of Jesus.
0: Hmm. Oh man, that is so good. Philip, I know that you're, you're uh, pinched for time and you have a service coming right up. Uh, but it's been so good. Are you working on something new, a new book?
2: Well, I, hopefully, um, uh, uh, there's a, I'm going away next week for a bit of a re- writing retreat, Steve. So I'll, I'll have some more news after then, really. But I've got a, new, I've got a few ideas in the, in the locker.
0: Listen, let us know, because you're a fun guest. You do talk funny, but you have, <laughs> you, you're a fun guest. Hey, Philip, I know how busy your schedule is and that you'd spend this time with us. Thank you so much god bless you i just man. love
2: being with you steve thank you ever so much every blessing on what you're doing and uh i'm off to pray now in durham cathedral i'll say a prayer for you all thank you thank you,
4: thank so, you much. so much thanks
0: so much the name of the book is being real the apostle paul's hardship narratives and stories we tell today uh this is an important book because it's different because it goes right to the heart of the power of the church It's not in how well we do it, but in the cross. As long as you point to that, you'll be okay. Don't go anywhere. We're coming back.
3: Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org.
4: This is Pete Owinson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out, like Father, like Son, how knowing God as Father changes men. Available now at keylife.org store.
0: Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org store. You can go two ways when you're talking about the gospel. You can make it so dark and so painful and so centered on the cross that people will say, you know, everybody has to believe in something. I believe I'll have another beer. Uh, But you can also make it so positive that people think you're crazy. And that's what's so good about this book and about Philip and our interview with him is the extreme balance of the resurrection and the cross being a part of what the Christian faith is about. Speaking of which, one of the truly great books of the Christian church I just finished fairly recently. (laughs) And if you believe any of this, you'll believe anything. Get yours now. Yeah. (laughs) But the title of it was Laughter and Lament. And as I worked on that book, I discovered some of the kinds of things that Philip has discovered and that you've discovered too. This is not a rose garden, but sometimes it smells like it. This is not a delightful time, but sometimes it is. But sometimes the pain is wrenching. Sometimes the sin is so deep you're ashamed. Sometimes you think I'm not even saved. And that's a part of all of it. And those are the places, as Philip says, where Jesus meets his people. And I liked what he said about the witness. You know, every time, and I've said this and got it from John De Bruin, every time a pagan gets cancer, a Christian gets cancer. Because the world has got to see the difference. Every time a pagan goes through a divorce, a Christian goes through a divorce because the world has got to see the difference. And so it's a profound book that Philip has written, and one we need to take account of in our own lives. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not. And Jesus is over both. Okay, who's going to be here next uh, week?
1: Thank you for asking. Next week, our friend Jordan Raynor is going to be with us. And get a load of this title of his new book, The Sacredness of Secular Work, Four Ways Your Job Matters for Eternity, Even When You're Not Sharing the Gospel.
0: (laughs) That's him. (laughs)
1: That's Jordan Rayner. Listen,
0: if you sometimes feel guilty because you haven't led the office staff to Christ, or your customers... We're working on it. Yeah. (laughs) We haven't done that here at Key Life yet. (laughs) But you're going to love next week's program. Same time, same place. And I hope you'll join us. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth. You know, it's interesting
4: to hear him say uh, Uh, a I know, yeah. I know. It's like I thought we yeah. <laughs> made fun Maybe we made fun of him. just, British. British. Yeah, yeah. just uh, the British version of the yeah, more sophisticated.